The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 7, Run Silent, Run Deep. Enemy Mine, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. Commercial airline travel sucked. It had all the discomfort of those jump seats on the Echo Cargo jobs with none of the legroom. At least on Echo standby flights, you got something to eat. And you didn't have a kid kicking the back of your seat the whole time. And a screaming baby three rows up. But John Murdoch wasn't with Echo, so although CCCP was technically allied with them, anything that wasn't a screaming emergency or a stealth mission meant commercial air. Currently, he was flying back to Atlanta after checking on a weapons shipment that had gone over its allotted timetable. It wasn't too much to worry about, and he'd set everything to rights. The people involved with the container ship were all Russian, and having the CCCP badge did wonders for making sure everything went smoothly. The thing that bugged him the most was that he felt that being sent on this errand was, for starters, boring, but more importantly, a waste of his time and skill sets. But, perhaps fortunately, it was up to his betters to decide where his time working ought to be spent. He was doing his best to sleep fitfully through as much of the flight as possible, despite the cramped conditions and droning noises of screaming babies and over-talkative business persons. Right when he was finally about to nod off, a voice chirped in his ear. Got good and bad news for you, comrade. Is the good news that you're a dream and I can keep on sleeping? He scrunched up his face readjusting himself in the seat and sitting up straight. Lay it out for me. What's up? The good news is that you get to jump off the cattle car at the next stop. The better news is that I have a car with a meal in it picking you up. The bad news is that you have a job. I thought that developing an exquisite contempt for commercial travel was my new job. No, that's for stand-up comedians. Bella said I ought to pick up a hobby. Here's the skinny. Seems the Rebs have been doing out-of-town recruiting service since you ran them out of Atlanta. We think there's a base. I've already sent Zarpikta out with a vehicle. He'll meet you at the airport, and he's got all the briefing materials with him. There was a dry laugh. If you turn on your comm, the stewardess will have a coronary, and you'll end up getting arrested by the Sky Marshal, so it'll have to wait. Okay. So, remind me, where am I getting off again? And who's this czar person? Brand new, with the advantage of having a genuine USA education. Minor firepower, too minor to interest the home team. Speaks good English, as opposed to Pavel English, and knows how to read a U.S. roadmap. By the time he gets there with the miserable excuse for a vehicle that Nat authorized, you'll be at the curb. He mulled over the information for a moment. So, the new guy is my overwatch and support. I do a snoop and scoot on this base, report back, and wait for more instructions. Right? Pretty much. It's halfway between Savannah and Atlanta. Anything more of import about this mission that you need to tell me? The important stuff is in the briefing you can download when you hit dirt. 
Oh, good. And quit your yapping. I'm going to pass out. You might want to call the cops, though. I'm going to kill the rug rat that's kicking my seat. Slowly. If John hated the actual process of commercial flying, he utterly despised what it took to get out of an airline terminal. Jostling and bumping through thousands of other tired, cranky, and over-caffeinated travelers did nothing to improve his mood. When he had finished collecting his single bag, he wanted nothing more than a hot shower, some strong liquor, and a bed. A soft rock would have sufficed, but a bed would be better. It was while he was waiting at the curb for his comrade to meet him when he noticed something from the corner of his eye. It was a woman approaching him. Everything about her posture said that she was nervous. She looked like someone's secretary, dishwater blonde, a little dumpy, getting wide in the hips from sitting at a desk all day. What was out of place about her was that she had a bodyguard with her. He was easy to spot for what he was when you knew what to look for. Part of it was the fact that although you couldn't see his eyes behind the dark glasses, there were tiny telltale motions of his head as he scanned the crowd like a pre-programmed machine. Shades at night. What a putz. John turned to face them, setting down his bag and shrugging off his backpack. Something I can help you with, ma'am? The woman, despite looking like she was about to come apart at the seams, managed to sound very bored. Look at this, Mr. Murdoch. She handed him a PDA. On it was a picture of a young man probably in his early twenties. He was bound and gagged, tied to a chair, and looked like he had been beaten up pretty thoroughly. That day's newspaper was being held under his chin. If you don't come with us, we will kill this individual. Make your decision. John groaned internally. These goons weren't Black Snake. Black Snake, thankfully, wasn't this cheesy. And while this woman could conceivably be connected with someone or some organization that he knew nothing about, he got the sense immediately that this was Thulian. Let me get a visual. The familiar voice was very quiet in his ear. The airport was full of surveillance cams. It wouldn't take Vicky long to tap into them. In fact, there was one just above him. His enhanced senses picked up the whine of the servo motors as it shifted position. What do you think I'm going to do? Let's see how this plays out. Positive on the hostage. Reb bag boy, minor police record. A negative ID on the contacts. A car pulled into the curb with a screech of brakes. Nat says your call, go or no go. Uh, they could have killed me with a car bomb or a drive-by or any other number of methods. If they want to risk talking to me like this, then uh, there's a reason. John stooped as he bent down to get into the car, looking at the bodyguard. Get my bags, Fritz. The car ride took close to an hour and a half. John was fairly good about keeping time internally, but the bag they had put over his head had made it difficult. The entire ride was silent, without so much as a sniffle or throat clearing from the other three in the car. This was all very cliché, but he didn't allow that to lull him into any false sense of security. These people were all enemies, and he could end up very dead very quickly. 
It didn't matter if it was by the hand of an amateur or someone with experience and brains. It was a good thing his lifeline to Vicky was an implant now. Nothing for them to see. Nothing for them to hear, either. Vicky was being as silent as he was. That was probably smart. If either of them had metapowers, they might hear something if she spoke. Then they stopped, although the car was running. He heard the bells of a railway crossing, then the approaching train. When it was near enough that the sound actually rattled the frame of the car, the voice was in his ear again. Zars behind you by a good bit, and that train gave me your positive look. Looks like you're heading for the same place we wanted you to go. Got more backup on the way now, but they're at least two hours at top speed. Which means I'll either be clear or dead by the time they arrive. At least someone might be able to clean up whatever's left in case of the latter. The thought of the angel flashed across his mind. Strangely, being dead had an entirely different slant to it now. The fear wasn't so much that he would have lost, as it was that he would have lost seeing her again. He'd been doing nothing but surviving for so long that these past few months of, well, really living, had sort of crept up on him. What would she do if he was killed? And if... If she really, really was an angel, would it matter? He got a brief flash of her, hands on her hips, scolding him for getting killed the way his ma used to for getting into something, and nearly choked on a laugh. The train passed. The car was in motion again, bumping over the tracks, then taking a right onto what felt like a dirt road. Are we there yet? I'm getting hungry. He uncrossed his arms, fidgeting intentionally in the seat. Distracting them had its own perks, one of which was that annoyed people sometimes let things slip, and this bunch didn't exactly look like the cream of the crop. Shut up. Male voice directly to his right. The bodyguard. John decided that it would be all right to gamble. Make me. The guard clamped his left hand on John's shoulder, which was what he had counted on. The guy was big, bigger than John, and was used to intimidating people in that way. In a blink, John had locked his left hand onto the guard's wrist and pulled him forward. After twisting the wrist just a few inches, he applied his elbow to the guard's outstretched arm, hyperextending it until he heard a loud pop and a strangled cry. The bag was very suddenly snatched from his head, the woman was pointing a small pistol at him, the driver was turned around in his seat, and the guard was nursing his broken appendage. After a second of studying it, John realized that the pistol was Thulian, one of their weird ray guns. It further confirmed his suspicion about who these goons were. What? He shrugged nonchalantly, as if the violence that had just taken place had nothing to do with him at all. Get out of the car, Holtz. And you. Do not move quickly. I can choose to make you hurt very, very much. The woman didn't look frightened now. The bodyguard fumbled open the door, hissing his pain as he did so, and got out, leaving John with a clear view of his surroundings. It looked to be what was left of a farm. 
John wasn't at all familiar with farming equipment to identify what sort of farm by the old rust-out hulks of machinery parked beside what remained of a wooden barn, but the blowing bits of white fluff everywhere did that for him. Cotton. And it must have been abandoned for a long time to have built up the little drifts of dead grayish fiber against the weed-infested fence line and the base of the barn timbers. The driveway they were parked on was mostly crabgrass with only a hint of the original gravel. There was a second barn next to the wooden one, in somewhat better shape. Sheet metal over steel it looked like, and big, probably where the cotton bales had been stored. John got out, taking his time. He wished he had one of the little mini-cams on him. The whine of what sounded like a million cicadas filled the air. The group, minus the bodyguard who was leaning against the car, strolled through an open door in the second barn, guarded by an equally serious-looking and for show big tough guy. Cotton lint was everywhere. Cotton fibers and dust were so thick in the air it looked like a Ridley Scott film. The guard nodded to the group, stepping aside to let them inside. The barn looked a lot bigger from the inside than from without. Big enclosed spaces had that effect. The place was almost completely empty, except for several scattered stacks of crates, some more bodyguards, and the hostage sitting in the center, still tied to a chair. The hostage was dressed plainly enough. He almost looked like a college kid instead of a no-account piece of reb scum. The question was, why hold one of their own guys as a hostage? Unless, of course, they were counting on him to think the kid was a civvy. So, what's the play here, folks? I haven't got all night, and uh, I'm still hungry. He crossed his arms and rolled back on his heels. Your hostage isn't much of one. <laughs> Should have told the Reb to bathe before you tried to set this gig up. And what makes you think he is a Reb, Schweinhund? Something very like a Teutonic god leapt down out of the upper story and landed in a cloud of dust and cotton lint. John knew that particular Teutonic god, though. Ubermensch. Oh, so that's why they went to the trouble of dragging me out here. John was immediately uneasy. Ubermensch, while probably not the smartest man John had ever met, was definitely one of the strongest. John shrugged, again trying his best to appear unconcerned. I couldn't have been plainer than if you'd stuck jackboots on him, Fritz. Beer, sauerkraut, and back bacon on his breath. John wasn't about to give away the fact that his eye in the sky, Vicky, was the source of the information. He uncrossed his arms, taking a step forward towards the Thulian and the bound Reb. What do you want? The Thulian stuck a thumb at him. You shamed me. You shall not shame me again. This time, we fight. Uh, not to interrupt what sounded like a towering righteous rant, but you ought to have your barber here for shaming you. That haircut went out in the 70s. Nobody wears mullets anymore. Piss him off couldn't really make things much worse. John tensed, readying himself to see how the big, the only really appropriate word to describe Ubermensch, Meta would react. He was disappointed. 
Übermensch's brows knitted. Was ist ein Mullet? he muttered to the woman. She shrugged. I wouldn't be too quick to talk about fighting, Adolf. You're talking to a real man here, and you couldn't even take out one little slip of a Russian girl. The Thulian's face screwed up in rage. You insolent pig! John snapped his right arm out almost instantly, fire cascading down it in a thick stream. The flames jumped and impacted directly in front of Ubermensch and the Reb captive. John had paid close attention to the cotton lint and dust that permeated this warehouse. Such things were really, really flammable. The space around Ubermensch erupted into a mini fireball, causing him to throw his hands in front of his face. The Reb, still tied to the chair and gagged, had no such recourse. John didn't waste any time. He darted immediately to his right, taking the half-second to burn the nearest bodyguard with a spurt of flame large enough to swallow a Buick. Skidding to a halt behind a stack of crates, he waited and listened. Everyone else scrambled. The aide went straight for the door, and the remaining bodyguards followed suit, sliding and slipping in the accumulated cotton lint. The Reb was the only one that remained still. He had begun to scream around his gag. Ubermensch brushed the ashes and soot from his armor. Although he did not have his sword, the rest of his armor was the same as the last time John had seen him. His golden helmet had been made in the shape of an eagle's head, an extremely stylized Art Deco sort of eagle's head, with two equally stylized wings sweeping back from either side. The eagle theme was carried out on the breastplate, where another eagle was incised into the metal, a double lightning bolt SS in one claw, a stylized skull in the other. In the way inconsequential thoughts had a way of intruding when you were under heavy fire, John wondered if this was the same armor that the first Ubermensch had worn, or if the new version had had a new look designed to match the power suits. He lifted one gauntleted hand to the helmet and raised the beak visor, revealing a head that looked like it had been taken straight off an old Third Reich statue, scanning the warehouse. His eyes settled on the stack of crates that John was hiding behind. You'll suffer for your tricks, pathetic verm! In five great strides, Ubermensch was at the crates, smashing through them with his shoulder. John barely escaped from behind the bursting wooden boards, sending a jet of flame over his shoulder. The pile of broken crates began to burn around Ubermensch. The light cast reflected off his gleaming armor, making him look even more like a raging devil. John took a deep breath, still running, and his enhancements keyed. He moved at a blur, kicking up clouds of cotton dust. He stopped very suddenly, whirled, and braced his right arm. Concentrating and relaxing, he let the flame on his arm build and coalesce. The blast lashed out to strike Ubermensch directly in the chest, splashing flames across his upper body. I've got to keep him out of reach until I can get some good distance between us. Then I'll have time to really unload on the son of a bitch. The Thulian stomped after John, swatting away the fire from his face. You cannot keep this game up forever! He bumped into a metal support beam, one of dozens in the warehouse. Stopping, he ripped out a meter-long section with one hand. Putting up his free hand to shield himself from the flames, Ubermensch side-armed the hunk of metal at John. John dropped prone to the floor, shutting off his flames. The beam sailed overhead fast enough to create a violent vortex in the air above his head. 
It would have bisected him if he'd still been standing upright. John was back up on his feet just as quickly, but Ubermensch had seized the opportunity to close the distance. John fainted to his left, then juked to his right toward the center of the room. Ubermensch followed, unfazed by John's faint. They met right next to the Reb, whose eyes had gone wide in abject terror. Ubermensch caught John in a vice-like grip with a meaty hand inside his metal gauntlet. John wrenched his shoulder, barely slipping out of the hold. This is bad. He jabbed twice, connecting with his opponent's jaw. It didn't budge, but something in John's hand almost cracked. He wouldn't be able to hurt Ubermensch, not close up like this. The problem was that the bastard was so damned strong. John's mind, flooded with adrenaline and moving faster than his enhanced body could keep up with, jumped back to training with Bella at an Echo Invitational sparring meet, teaching how to handle superior strength when you were just a weak human. All the safety officers had to take these. The highlight had been when a small, unassuming man with a huge bushy mustache and coke-bottle glasses had instructed John to try to strike him with all of his enhanced might. The next thing John had known, he was on his back and halfway across the room. John was a fast learner. He'd picked up quite a bit in that one session. Flashing back to the present, John watched in a not-quite-slow-motion as Uber snapped a fist toward his face. It was a haymaker and more than powerful enough to kill him. John pivoted, his right and left hand coming up to hold loosely on the Thulian's arm. Moving off the line of attack, he guided Ubermensch's fist in the direction that the strike was already heading. Unable to stop himself, Ubermensch found all of the strength he had planned to use turning John into mush redirected forward. His fist must have seemed to pull him like a rocket, as John dropped to one knee and he found himself soaring over John's head in a parody of flight. His landing sounded as if someone had just flung a fifty-seven Chevy at a junk pile. John kept the dance up, redirecting the Thulian's enormously powerful strikes to work against him. The super-strong Meta clearly did not get what was happening to him, and his face reddened with fury. I can't do this forever. I'm not that good, and he'll get lucky. As if fated, John saw the blow coming. His feet were planted wrong, and he wouldn't be able to avoid it this time. Almost not thinking, he snatched the tied-up Reb who was almost in the middle of the raging fight and placed him squarely in front of his chest. The Reb gave a single strangled squeal right before Ubermensch's fist impacted with him. Stars exploded in his vision and John went sailing end over end through the air. He'd been through rough fights, crashes of various sorts and explosions. None of them seemed to compare with how hard he'd been hit. His back impacting with the metal siding of the warehouse seemed significantly gentler, as did his landing. It took what seemed like ages for his vision to clear and for the black to fade from the edges. Looking down at himself to make sure he was still whole, he noticed that he was covered in the pulpy remains of the unfortunate Reb fake hostage. Brushing himself off and coughing violently as he stood up, John glanced at the new hole he'd helped make in the warehouse. Ubermensch was marching out through the missing piece of sheet metal, infernally haloed by the small fires inside the building. Part of the roof began to cant and collapse inwards as he exited. Johnny, heads up. He's ramping up something in his armor. It's not energy beams. Grav manipulation or something? I can't tell just that there's something going on and that can't be good for you. Wish to hell I had a visual. 
You have been listening to Season 7 of the Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series. The Secret World Chronicle podcast is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer. Music is Exciting Trailer by Kevin MacLeod, available at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the amazing people at Bayon Books. Follow the series at www.secretworldchronicle.com. Join us on Facebook and check out the authors on Twitter. And as always, thank you for listening.